So I'm really encouraged today about what we're going to talk about with uh, Seth and the lovely Anthony Elliott. Many of you know he counts, he's one of the pastoral counselors at Plumline Ministries. And, and uh, I'll just say it this way. Just talking through the stuff with Anthony today has empowered me personally to walk closer to Jesus. Even this morning, and I'll give you an example of it later, the way my day started, I needed to walk through the very steps that Anthony uh, was talking about. So last, you know, the last couple of weeks we did this rediscover, repent and reform. You know, Josiah, you can listen back to those things. We talked about racial reconciliation. We hit this stuff hard. It's super intense. But what we're going to do today, that what I, the way I looked at last week is, is like in the Old Testament when there were encounters with God, they'd build an altar. And they remember, wow, God did something there. It was like Bethel, Jacob was there. He built an altar to remember what God did. But 99% of life is lived between the altars. Does it make sense? The altar is important, really important. But we we can't even li- we can't sustain that level of intensity. We'll just be burned out all the time. But between the altars, God's spoken to us. Now, how do we live this stuff out? So we're going to jump back into the stuff on prayer. So Seth, why don't you walk us? Yeah, through that, that. that's a great intro because b- between the altars, what we're learning how to do is live the lifestyle of Jesus together. That that's the whole point of what we've been talking about for the past few months. And so if you remember before the kind of uh, interlude we've been on for the last three weeks, we were talking about living the lifestyle of Jesus, specifically talking about practicing the discipline of prayer. And we've been using, you remember from Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, we've been using, so this is an interesting environment. We're By the way, if you're new to Believer's Church, it's not always like this. <laughs> it's not always like a medieval Renaissance fair, worshiping Jesus. You know, this isn't the VBS set crazy cool. <laughs> Zach and Lori and our volunteers have been working like crazy all week. And uh, we're obviously all a little discombobulated because I didn't even notice. It's like, by the way, hearing over the building. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we started with pause. We've talked about pause, about being still in the Lord's presence. We've talked about rejoicing, especially using the Psalms as tools for learning how to live lives of praise and prayer. And then we've been talking about ask. And so we had a couple of weeks of talking about intercession, petition, and discernment. And then we got to practice a lot of intercession and petition over the last few weeks. And so uh, we talked a lot also the last few weeks about repentance, which tees us up really well for this next part of ask. We're going to still talk about asking in prayer because Jesus taught us That should say repentance and forgiveness, because that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. But Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, after interceding and petitioning for the kingdom to come and for our needs to be met, he teaches us to ask for forgiveness and to extend it, to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so this week, we're going to be talking about repentance. Next week, we'll be talking about forgiveness. And the week after, we're going to continue the conversation of just how we flesh out lifestyles of repentance and forgiveness. And so that's what we're talking about today. Guile introduced our wonderful friend, Anthony Elliott, who is here with us. Guile, do you want to say anything else about Anthony as we get started? How Just, awesome he is. He is awesome. How many of you guys know Anthony? Raise your hand if you already know Anthony. I would say, good. A lot of you guys, Anthony's been, you've been part of Believers for how long? Maybe fif- uh, almost 15 years. 15 now. years is what I guess. And Anthony and Michelle's story is phenomenal, but they 
They've uh, been counselors at Plumline how long now? Uh, we started our own counseling journey there uh, a little over eight years ago and okay. became uh, counselors there uh, going on five years ago now. Okay. Okay. And so Anthony has been really instrumental in Plumline. In fact, Terry Ewing, who founded Plumline, is here this morning. Uh, Terry, we're so grateful for you and the ministry to our community. All the people who was ca- calling saying, can I go to Plumline? Thank this guy real quick. He's He's been such a blessing. Of the Plumline's a ministry that comes along churches and offers pastoral counseling um, that's just very well developed and really takes a ton of pressure off a church staff to give expertise with people who are doing this all the time, but also in, in a way that really is consonant with our value set of following Jesus. And so um, so we're going to go through some of the stuff that Plumline does. And, and, and we're talking about repentance. And basically, Anthony, you're saying repentance is an act of faith, and you're going to kind of unpack what that means as we go through kind of this, it's, it's a tool you said, it's an emotional processing tool for going through kind of what is involved with repentance. And you, you explained this tool to me that there's four primary emotional categories that are mad, bad, sad, and glad. And t- just So tell us about just this tool real quick. Okay, I'd love to. Uh, but I want to kind of start off too by touching on the the verse that we started with the forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and i think that language is really important okay we don't necessarily talk like that in this culture of of debts and other than we understand it financially but this is talking about relational okay when when we sin and right, last time I checked, Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned, right? So we're all in this category. When we sin, primarily our transgression is against God, right? We're breaking one of his guidelines he set out for us. But because we do life in relationship, the sin that I commit is going to hurt those people around me that I care about. And it's going to create an inequity in our relationship. If I lie to guile, I'm breaking one of the Ten Commandments. My sin is against God. But now there's an inequity in our relationship. I have, I have elevated my needs, my wants, my desires, my ideals above his. And we're no longer in a we-get-to-care-for-each-other mode. I'm saying, no, my stuff is more important. And so we'll really unpack this a lot more next week when we talk about the forgiveness and reconciliation part. But we have to understand that our actions, the sins that we commit, have an effect on those people around us. And they're creating this inequity in the relationship that we have to deal with. And that's what uh, repentance helps us with. So to unpack the tool, or did you want to say something? I was just going to say, unpack it. Okay. So let's start with some basic definitions, okay? So uh, I'm assuming everybody probably has taken some kind of art class in elementary school or something where you understand that uh, a little bit of color theory says that there are three primary colors, red, yellow, blue. And you can mix those three colors to get every other of the millions of colors that, that we can see, right? Okay, well, this tool for emotions works exactly the same way. Whenever we have an emotion, 
it is a blend of these four primary sources. So let's define those. So a mad uh, category uh, feeling is going to be defined as an appropriate negative response to somebody else's sinful behavior towards me. So in a, in a nutshell, that's just other people's jerkiness. Bad, we're going to define as an appropriate negative response to my own sinful behavior. It's my jerkiness. The sad category is an appropriate negative response to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And there are sometimes things that happen that just aren't anybody's fault other than we live in a broken, messed up, fallen world. And then we have the glad category which is an appropriate positive response uh, to knowing and understanding that God's at work in all of these situations. There's nothing outside of his reach, outside of his possible ability to show up and do something in, which lines up with our Christian worldview, right? Because as Christian worldview, we cognitively hold these beliefs, right, that on, on your absolute best day, you're probably going to be a little bit jerky to somebody. <laughs> On my absolute best day, I'm probably going to be a little jerky to somebody. On all of our best day, we still live in this fallen world, and we believe that there is nothing that God can't show up in. And so this tool helps us evaluate, are my emotions coming in line with my belief system? Am I having a unified cognitive system and emotional system and so it really just is an evaluation tool that's fantastic so that makes sense so in other words what we think and we feel we're trying to see them be in the same space right you ever been in a position where you what you know to be true you don't feel whatsoever okay yeah i can i can feel it in the room already <laughs> i am glad <laughs> i'm glad jesus saves <laughs> i'm just kidding you don't have to respond for us. Um, repentance is how we're going to talk about it. We're going to connect that with this bad thing. So it's an appropriate emotional response to our own jerkiness, <laughs> right? Now, if anybody doesn't fit in the category of ever doing something jerky, you can check out now. All right. So if you're good. The rest of this doesn't apply to you. But I will say I'm, I'm up for this. So Anthony, how do we how do we use this tool then to walk through this idea of repentance? Um, I, as I was thinking about this over the last couple of days, I almost want to want to modify the slide a little bit. That uh, re repentance is actually a result of processing okay. our bad. Okay. Okay. It it looks very similar, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, but one of the key components as, as we were talking about this and thinking about this was what, what keeps us from being able to get in touch with our bad? You know, when I'm, when I'm jerky to my wife or to my kids or to my neighbor, or, you know, what keeps me from being able to, to own that, to say, I'm sorry, that was pretty jerky. Okay. And, and so what I believe is there's probably lots of different things, so I don't want to make it too simplified. 
But I believe that the number one uh, resistance, the obstacle to embracing our bad is shame. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to get on my soapbox here for just a little bit because this is something I'm pretty passionate about. And, and I've kind of made it my, my personal mission uh, to, to at least spread some information. Uh, is I think we've done, as a culture, as churches, um, a, a huge disservice to ourselves and to others by kind of lumping this notion of guilt and shame into almost synonymous terms. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Uh, I want to define guilt as I did something bad. Shame sends this message that I am bad or that there is something bad inherent about me. And when we lump guilt and shame together, uh, one of the unintended messages that we're actually conveying is that if you do something bad, there is something bad about you. And that couldn't be further from what we believe as Christians. We have inherent value. God has placed value on us, even like the, the songs and the words that came this morning have already described that, you know, God loved us the most, right? No greater love has anybody than, than lay down his life for us. He loved us that much while we were the furthest away from him. I don't know where you put that slide. Well, and if you don't mind me jumping in, the clarification I want to make is so important here. So we're talking about bad. What we mean is this, is the idea of unlovable, worthless. Does that make sense? What we're not saying is you're not going to sin. And we're not saying that you don't struggle with sin. This is the key verse. This, Guys, this is the center of the gospel. That God shows off. He explains his own love for us. That while we were sinning, sinners, identity, we sin. This is what we do. That's when God bestowed value on us. Does that make sense? So it can get confusing because what Anthony's not saying is we're never bad in the sense that we never do bad. Does that make sense? But we are never worthless. Otherwise, Jesus wasn't worth that much. He gave himself for us. So Jesus got ripped off if we're worthless, right? Another thing I thought you were saying, you were talking about in anything, it's like uh, the person who buys the product is the really the one who determines the value, right? So something that might have cost only $30 to make, if I really want that, I might pay $200 for it because I really want that. So it's the buyer that determines the value. Does that make sense? It's really critical. This is the essence of the gospel. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how God explains our love. So that kind of helps this guilt. Yes, I've done something wrong. Shame says I am unlovable because of what I've done. Right. And so uh, if we want to make, you know, synonyms out of terms, we're all real comfortable with the language of conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we embrace that. That's, that's part of our culture as, as Christians. Well, 
What does the Holy Spirit convict us of? It's the things that we're guilty of doing. <laughs> jerkiness. <laughs> jerkiness. It's our jerkiness, right. So when we're able to start taking the shame off, when we're able to start taking judgments off, when we're able to take significance off of the performance, and so we want to start separating the who I am from what I do. I don't want that to be an equation anymore. But we live in this culture that you are defined by what you do and how you perform. And, and that's, that's not the Jesus culture. That's not Jesus' economy. And so we want to begin to, to do our best to separate the performance from the value, from the word. Okay? So, um, which by the way, if you catch just this, it's going to help you, all of us a lot. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So that's important. So what does, what does some of these things look like? Because we don't necessarily talk in, in shame terms, right? Nobody hardly ever uses that vocabulary. So I got to thinking about that. So if we can go on to the next slide, uh, I'm going to say that shouldy thinking is the vocabulary of shame. And that's going to look like, oh, well, I, I should have known better. I should have seen that coming. What's wrong with me? You know, that, that's the message that it's sending. Instead of being able to say, yeah, it's, it's okay, I messed up. It's not who I am. I can embrace my weaknesses. And it's, it's that freedom of knowing who we are that gives us the ability and the and the uh, the ability to evaluate ourselves so that we can move into repentance and so we want to be aware of of our thought process the the shitty thinkings the ought tos the have tos the the feelings of obligations um, those can all send very negative messages to us so as the phrase goes don't should on yourself exactly yeah, okay. yeah. Right. All right. Another way that we can uh, kind of be aware of this is this quote from William Paul Young. He, that may, name may sound familiar. He's the guy that authored the Shack book. Um, in his personal testimony, he makes this quote. He says, shame will destroy your ability to distinguish the difference between a value statement and an observation. When I'm struggling with shame and I forget to take out the garbage on trash day and my wife says, hey, you forgot to take out the, the garbage. Shame will turn that observation into a message that I hear as, you're a horrible person. How could you have forgotten that? You've broken your promise. How can I trust you? What, you know, hear the the spiral that it can send us into, and that's the power that shame has. Yeah, I always feel sorry for my wife because she um, she notices things, and I don't, and I can't fix them. Like I have no skills, right? So um, so she'll she'll just like a normal person would say, "Hey, look, that's broken. That's broken." But with me, it, a lot of times I've responded, you're a failure. You're a failure. Does that make sense? And so I'm getting all, ah! She should be able to point out that the roof's caving in. 
right? Without my identity being at stake, right? But, but because I've not separated the guilt and shame thing that it's true, that's broken. And yes, I don't know how to fix it. And I didn't notice it. Sorry about that. But that doesn't devalue me. And then I can actually respond in a way that's sane, saying, I notice with you, we need to fix this. So here's the, the power that shame has. Okay, and so we call this the shame cycle. So shame is always going to lead to secrecy. And that secrecy will only strengthen the obsession or compulsion. So there is no path to freedom through shame. So if you, you know, shame on you for doing that. Shame on you kids for acting out. Okay? You are actually causing that obsession or compulsion to be strengthened in that person's life. And I think this is so important. So if you look at Second Corinthians 7, like 3 and 4, it talks about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Paul says godly sorrow is really good. How do you know if it's godly? He says right there, it moves you into repentance and actually positive action. Where godly sorrow, or excuse me, worldly sorrow leads to death. Worldly sorrow is that nonspecific sense that I cannot ever get out of this. You know what I'm saying? That I am bad. This is so critical, guys. There are unworldly philosophies today that this is the methodology that are non-gospel, that I'm in the category of the wrong no matter what I do. Anybody heard any of this stuff? It's such a big, big deal that there's godly sorrow that's really good, but the way you know it is, it leads to positive action. And there's specificity to it. There's clarity to it that you can own this and only this and go to that, you know, the next action. So. Anthony, you shared the other day some just some thoughts that I found really helpful about the the cycle that shame sends us into, which is in many ways almost an antithesis of repentance. Could you share a little bit about that? That kind of, this, the, this, the cycle of, of, of avoidance and continuing to be stuck in the things that we're ashamed of because of shame? Yeah, that's, again, just kind of what we're talking about. The, the shame that leads to the secrecy is going to strengthen that obsession or compulsion because, you know, who knows, who all can relate to me anyway that, you know, when I'm struggling with something, when I want to change a behavior or a thought process or, or whatever, um, I, I generally don't do that just as a first time, lay it down, quit it, and never struggle with that again. Okay. Uh, chances are it's going to be a struggle, and I'm going to have to wrestle with that, and I'm going to have to contend with that, and I'm going to have to fight for that. Okay. So it's generally not a matter of, if I fail, but when I fail, what happens? Okay. If I'm struggling with the shame, I'm not going to be able to uh, confess or make a new commitment or repent from that. I'm going to want to go into hiding because, after all, I've told all these people that I'm I'm over all that. I'm not struggling with that anymore. But here I am struggling again. So I've got to I've got to shut down. I've got to lock down, and I've got to hide that. And in that uh, withdrawal uh, from from people, from interaction, from relate from relationship, then I'm I'm really just left to my own devices. And and so then that I will just grow. 
deeper and deeper into that cycle. Yeah, it just strikes me as so powerful and so important for us to get a hold of because our shame keeps us from going to the only person who can help us with the stuff that we're stuck in. It, 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 the, 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 we all know if we're, if we're struggling with sin or any other struggle jerkiness, that there's only one place we can go for help, and that's to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. But our shame creates this thing that keeps us from going to the place that we need to go. So back then to the gospel statement, and I like how you say it, the, the really powerful antidote, what's my best weapon against shame, is my joyful identity. How do I know that God loves me? How, how settled am I in that? How well am I working on separating my performance from my identity? Okay. Uh, and we're actually going to do a little exercise in there in a minute to help you guys kind of get in touch with that. But the, the joyful identity is, is really at the heart. If I, it's so hard to define because it's a very nebulous concept. But it's really the ability to, to be who I want to be. And, and the size of my joyful identity is how much I get to be who I want to be. And how many circumstances do I get to maintain being who I want to be? What are those circumstances that move me off my joyful identity? Those are the things I need to start being aware of. Okay. Uh, so, so let's go down to the process then of how we get that direction. So with repentance, we've got two, two things. The first, first step is confession. Right. Uh, the confession part is just being able to own my stuff. And when I take the judgments off of it, when I take the shame off of it, I actually now have the freedom to be able to own those things. To say, you know what, yeah, I was being kind of jerky. But it doesn't define me anymore. And so we're talking about this freedom that, you know, I don't think confession is this big, mysterious, mysterious uh, difficult concept to understand. It's just saying, yeah, I did it. I'm guilty. But there's so much freedom and liberation in that when my identity is not all wrapped up in it. Because that, now we can actually work towards this reconciliation notion that we're going to talk about next week of, of being able to say, yes, I've hurt you. And I've, and I've created this inequity in our relationship and, and I want to do something about it. I want to move towards you in this relationship. And so to do that, I have to be able to own what I've done. Yeah. How many arguments have you been in with your, somebody you love, realizing the whole time you were trying to say it wasn't as bad as it really was, or I didn't mean it, or it wasn't really happening, because you realize looking back, your identity was at stake. Like I remember when, when I'd offend my wife, I would, I'm, I'm not a fun guy to live with too, too often, because I just argue and argue and argue. That, well, I didn't really mean that. I didn't really, because what I realized when I really sat with Jesus, I was afraid that if she knew I, do, I did something that hurt her, she'd leave me. Now, how crazy is that, right? In other words, I believe because I did something wrong, I'm completely rejectable. So it wasn't her issue, and she just can't win with that, right? But when I've settled down into Jesus loves me in all my failure, and that's never a question. 
I can say, like, the, at 5.30 this morning, I woke up in bed in a panic because I realized I'd picked up the groceries last night and never took them out of the, the, the car. They were there all night. And I woke up and I was like, and I'll tell you what my first thought is. I'm a space cadet. I'm a jerk. My wife is going to be so mad. But Anthony has intervened in my life this week. I was like, I did a bad thing. I am not unlovable. I am not bad. I just, I messed up. So I, I made, I made, worked on making reparations already this morning by throwing food away. And I made a list and left it on the counter and said, here's what I'll be buying on the way home <laughs> today, right? <laughs> so anyway, but I was able to confess because I knew my identity's not at stake. I messed up. I forgot it and I messed up. Okay. I did. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And so we make the confession, we own it, and then there's a cool next step. I love this. Uh, then we get to make a new commitment. We get to say, I'll, I'll try not to leave the groceries in the car next time. I'll, I'll try to remember to take the trash out. Okay? And it's, it's the movement to say, I want things to be better. I want to resolve this inequity. I'm, I'm willing to work on me in this. And again, it's it's a freedom because our identity is still not at stake, even in the new commitment. Yeah. I've got to be better so that I'll be more lovable, I'll be more acceptable. I've got, that's no, awesome. that's this is not the kind of commitment that we're talking about. Yeah. It's just to say, you know what? I don't I don't like this part of me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. And we get to move into that with our joyful identity. And just for the perfectionists in the room, Guile and I are both recovering perfectionists. Uh, the, the commitment side of things is not a promise to never do what you did again. Because we're not capable of making that promise, right? But it is a confession that I don't want to keep living this way and I'm going to seek to make changes with God's help and will you walk with me? Yeah? yeah. W- which is why you say that repentance an act of faith, right? Exactly. Because yeah. it takes faith to uh, trust that God is forgiving our sins when we confess them, right? First John 1, 9. And it takes faith to trust that he's going to help us make these changes, that he's going to walk with us in these changes, that he's not sitting at the finish line saying, well, I'll be here when you get done, so I hope you hurry up. No, he's saying, I'm going to meet you right where you are. And that's the beautiful message of the gospel is is Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. He wants to meet who you are. He wants to meet how you are. He wants to meet where you are today. Let's just pause for just a second. Can you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit on this? The Lord wants us to, to, to receive this. When we repent, We've done something wrong. We were already loved completely before you did a single thing right. So when we repent, we confess knowing, yes, I did wrong, but I'm still loved. And that Father, through the cross of Jesus, will forgive me. And I'm forgiven. And then He will give me the strength 
to behave differently the next time. Maybe just be a notch better. But I can't, repentance can't be done without God. Initiated by God, sustained by God, it all comes from Him. Lord, I ask you to cut through shame that we've mistaken as humility, we've mistaken as the Holy Spirit into the truth of the gospel that we're loved. We get to own our wrongdoing as loved children. And we get to be better as your kids with your help. Amen. Well, Anthony, you got an exercise here you want to finish with? Yeah, so I thought it'd be <clears throat> a good starting place because this notion of joyful identity may be a new concept to, to most of you folks. Um, so as we think about our relationship with God, okay, I want you to picture this. When God looks at you, what does he see? Do you fall into the, the thought pattern that, well, yeah, I understand that, that God loves me, right? He, he kind of has to because he loves the whole world and I'm, I'm part of the world. So, so I guess by default that means that God loves me. I'm, I'm saying that's, that's not good enough in a relationship. I believe that God loves each and every one of us for very specific, special reasons. He's created you with unique giftings and talents and abilities and thoughts and uh, that is unique to you, 110%. There's not another person created like you. Okay. So uh, if our ushers will help, in, in the baskets where your offering envelopes are, I believe there's some 3 by 5 index cards, or you can pull out your phone or have something to take notes on. I want to take a minute, and I want you to picture in your mind that right now God in the throne room is looking down at you. And he just smiles ear to ear. He says, hey Gabe, come here. Michael, come here, check this out. See Anna? This, this is what I love about her. Watch, watch this. See Jerry? This is how I made him. Check him out. So I want you to, to take a minute, picture that in your mind, and then try to name three things that God loves specifically and uniquely to you. And my, take a couple minutes. I might even suggest if you're having trouble, just ask him. Absolutely. Just ask him. Just say, what, what are three things you love about me? Just wait and see what he says. And they may even be things that you don't necessarily like about yourself. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give this example. Uh, back in my younger days, um, I, I suffered the, the curse of having a very sharp tongue. And I, and I was very sarcastic. And, but it was, it was masked with a lot of passive aggressiveness. 
And, and one day my wife came to me and says, I've had enough of this. You can't treat me like this. Uh, this has got to stop. And so I dealt with the shame and said, okay, well, that's something bad about me. And so I need to, to quit that. But through this exercise, I believe that uh, God has given me the ability to have a quick wit. And that's something he likes about me. Now, I had, had it all twisted up and wasn't using it in a very, very nice way. But it was still something got good that God put in me. And so uh, I'm in the process of sanctifying my sarcasm now. So. That's a pretty good altar call, isn't it? I'm going to, I can kind of see, you know, just imagining in James, the father of lights. You know, we prayed that over Hallie. Um, Hallie Claire, the father of lights, bestowing these gifts. And I, w- I know he wants to continue to do this through the day. And, you know, I know, couldn't give you a ton of time here this morning, but I want you to reflect on this. Guys, I'm telling you, this is powerful. This is powerful. Did you know that we deliver to other people who we are, no matter what words we say? So our witness can be, Jesus loves you and forgives you of your sins. And if we don't carry that, we will never communicate that. Because we haven't actually experienced the good news. That I I love confessing my sins to Jesus because my identity is never at stake. His love for me is never at stake. It's actually I get to become more like him as I confess my wrongdoing and with him make commitments to grow. Isn't that powerful? But you can only do it when you know your identity is settled, that you're, you're loved. So here's an action point we can take, by the way. Anthony's going to be teaching a class on these very things. And get all the details, but it's on June 26th. He's actually scheduled a special one just for our congregation. He does these for Plumline. But will take us to that mad, bad, sad, glad in, in a lot more depth. You can just take your time to work through these very things. I think if you felt like just, whoa, this is helpful, just go to this, guys. This is so worthwhile. We want to be able to act on it. It's just not collecting new information, Right? But to able to act on this, I, from just talking with Anthony to prepare for this message, have already been able to put this in my life and experience some new freedom. That's huge. That's huge. So June 26th and July 24th, if you want to get more details, uh, go to the website where we, you know, you can sign up for that event. Anthony, was there anything else you wanted to close up before we pray? Uh, <clears throat> there are some uh, more information out at the prayer table. Uh, there's brochures that you can find out more information about each one of the classes, uh, as well as sign-up sheets out there if you're more comfortable doing that way. Um, and, and, yeah, the 
the tools uh, workshop, not only do we do the Mad Bad Sag Lab, but there's about five or six other tools that uh, are some of our basic uh, relational dynamic tools that we teach. Um, and, and I can just tell you from my own personal experience, uh, these things have changed my life. Um, I would not be sitting on this stage, I, I 100% guarantee it, um, had I not found Plumline, had I not found these tools. I don't think I'd be married. I don't think I'd have my family. Um, I owe an immense debt of gratitude to Terry. The time uh, that he's put into us personally, as well as the sacrifice he's made in, in doing this for almost 26 years now. This will change your life if you grab a hold of it. And, and it brings so much freedom, uh, it's just indescribable. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together. And Anthony, would you pray over us to conclude our time together? Lord, as we just contemplate your love this morning, the uh, unimaginable, the unfathomable, the indescribable uh, way that you love us, uh, borderlines on what we would call uh, irrational and irresponsible, reckless even. Help us to, to learn to let you love us better. Help us to, to grab hold of, of the identity that you've stated for us with the price that you've paid for each one of us. We all have value. We all are important. We all have worthiness. And let it be real to us. Show up in such a real way that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to question. We don't have to doubt. Uh, you, you will do that for us. And the freedom that it brings helps us move into all these gifts that you have for us. Gifts of forgiveness. Gifts of repentance. Gifts of reconciliation. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't that good stuff? Thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much. So next week, we're going to interview Anthony again for the second half, the forgiveness part. So we've done repentance, and we're going to talk about forgiveness, okay? So don't miss it. Just try to practice this stuff this week. We love you guys. Have a great week.